Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we have the honor of having Dr. Paul Gavoni with us. And with more than 20 years in human services and public education, Dr. Gavoni has effectively transferred research to practice through the application of evidence-based strategies aimed at bringing out the best in children and adults. Recognized by many as an authentic leader, Paul has provided district leadership, school leadership, teachers and staff with coaching focused on analyzing and developing behavior and performance management systems that positively impact student behavior and achievement in high poverty schools. His approach to school improvement, co-authored with Dr. Scott Neal, was recently published in the New York Academy of Public Education's Professional Journal. An expert in human performance and organizational leadership, Paul has passionately and directly supported students and staff in a variety of environments, such as private schools, group homes, secured facilities, day treatment programs, alternative education facilities, and public schools. Within these settings, Paul has been fortunate enough to wear many hats, including teacher, counselor, professional developer, case manager, therapist, behavior analyst, project manager, clinical coordinator, and school administrator. Beyond his work in education and human services, Coach Paulie Gloves, as he's known in the MMA world, is also a highly successful professional boxing and mixed martial arts coach. As the former Golden Gloves heavyweight champion of Florida and current athletic leader, Coach Pauly has effectively applied the science of human behavior to coach multiple fighters to championship titles at various levels worldwide. With many successful fighters on his resume, Pauly has even supported his fighters with reaching the pinnacle of sports when he won and successfully defended the M1 Global World Heavyweight title for three years. Coach Pauly has written for Sci Fighting, Last Word on Sports, and is a featured coach in the book Beast, Blood Struggle and Dreams at the Heart of Mixed Martial Art. Finally, and most importantly, Paul is a loving husband and father. Okay, so welcome, Dr. Paul Gavoni. How are you? I'm just fine, Lily. Excuse my voice today. I have just a little bit of a sinus infection, but otherwise everything is great. Thank you. How are you? Good. Well, I have one too, so that's going around. So we are so happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I will do my best. Great. Paul, I feel like this is a deja vu. We've done this before, haven't we? Yeah, we've been here. (laughs) So I want to just tell our listeners that we actually did an hour 
plus of interview material and then I was horrified to find out I had not pressed record and you were so amazing my heart dropped when I found out that I had not recorded the conversation and you were so gracious you immediately I mean I know you were taken back by it but then you immediately say oh no worries we can do this again and I want to honor you because you're really pouring into our listeners thank you so much yeah, it's listen, and the thing is that I recognize people make mistakes. I, who is perfect out there? We all make mistakes. And I think it was a pattern of problems, and it's something that you know we need to correct. But it's okay. But thank you. Yeah, so I get to be mentored by you twice. So that's awesome. That's a bonus <laughs> for me. Well, thank you. So, Paul, tell us about your path to leadership. I kind of think of it more as an evolution. I never really considered myself a leader when I was young. I didn't want to be a leader. I didn't want the responsibility of having to lead people. But on the other side, I really didn't want to follow anybody either. I just kind of wanted to do things that I wanted to do. And if people happen to be walking in the same direction, then, you know, hey, great. You know, but then I kind of found myself being put into a lot of positions where people were seeking me out for my advice. It's kind of why I went to a social work originally, because so many people wanted to hear some of the things I had to say. Not quite sure why, but I really liked helping people. At the root of almost everything that I do, I really do truly enjoy helping people. Along the way, through my education, I've actually come in contact with something called applied behavior analysis, which is the science of human behavior. And it's actually at the root of all leadership. Any leadership theory that you read, any book that you've picked up, I've just been very fortunate to come in contact with the science, which really helps you to understand how to bring out the best in people and how leadership behaviors directly impact the folks that are following you. So that really accelerated me as somebody who helped groups of people move in the right direction. Now, that's interesting to me because as a teacher of children with special needs, ABA to me is what you use to work with children who are on the spectrum. So when I saw this, I thought this is incredibly interesting. Can you kind of unpack this a little bit more about how ABA can also be used structuring leadership? I'm glad that you're prompting that because a lot of people really think ABA, uh, Applied Behavior Analysis, again, is just for working with students with disabilities, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Anything that has to do with people, there's a science of human behavior that's at the root of it. So as a professional mixed martial arts coach, which is an athletic leader, I actually use this science to train my fighters as a former school turnaround manager and assistant principal. I've been able to use what's called organizational behavior management, which is the science of applied behavior analysis in organizations. And really, you know, uses these four essentials, uh, understanding how to pinpoint behavior and results to lead to those behaviors, understanding how to effectively use measurement, understanding how to use feedback, and understanding how to apply positive reinforcement to get what we call discretionary effort from people that are following you really just how to bring out the best of people so the science is amazing and it's really nowhere to be found in education unfortunately i think it's a fault of the fields because it's for lack of a better word sciencey 
Mm-hmm. And I believe that there's just some fundamental premises that should be shared with the world because if school leaders or any leader understood some of these basic principles, they really would understand how to get better performance out of people, how to create climates where people want to be, and how to get trust and buy-in as a leader. It's just amazing. A book uh, by Aubrey Daniels called Bring Out the Best of People is what really kind of turned me on to somebody who is just a big believer in organizational behavior management. So you use this to work with schools, right? Or leaders in schools. And so if someone wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way to do that? To start with, if they just connect with me on LinkedIn, and I do a lot of writing, I think I have 30 or 40 plus articles on LinkedIn. First of all, read some of those articles, see if they resonate with you. And if they do, then hit me up through the messages because the science is the science. It's not wrong. It's not my opinion. It works. And if any school leader, anybody listening to this podcast understood some of the basic principles of this science, teachers can bring out the best in their students, leaders and coaches can bring out the best in their teachers. A senior district leadership can bring out the best in their principles. So everybody really should understand some of these basic principles because they're doing a lot of things that aren't bringing out the best of people. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because they haven't been trained in the science. Give me an example of how that would apply. So one of the things that we know in the science is telling people to do something is insufficient for getting them to do it. Mm -hmm. And you hear this a lot. If you're in school systems, you've probably been through this where either the school leader or the district leaders come out and uh, after doing painstaking analysis and making great speeches at the beginning of the year to get people rallied up to say the direction that things are going to go and the vision that we're going to pursue and the mission that we're going to use. You know, then three or four months later, those words kind of ring hollow as you look back and nothing's really changed, right? Have you seen that? (laughs) I see that often, a lot of top down. Right, yes, that's because what we call telling people to do something is what we call antecedent strategy. And it's not why human behavior occurs. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the science of consequences. People do things because they're either getting something or get away from something. It's called positive versus negative reinforcement. I don't want to get Mm -hmm. too deeply into science, but if you understand some of these fundamental premises and understand how to use measurement to reinforce people, how to show them that doing this thing, something meaningful occurs and it's going to make those people more likely to do those things. Like right now, managing response rates, right? Asking students questions. Mm-hmm. It's a very good strategy for engaging students. Now, a lot of teachers aren't trained in effectively using managing response rates. But if, if I were to come in and show a teacher how to use this thing as a leader, or as a coach, that, you know, I want you to use a strategy. I'm going to teach you how to do it. And then if you were to see that by doing this strategy that you had students that are more engaged, which meant they have less misbehavior, which meant that they are improving or showing increases in their achievement, well, you're going to be more likely to use this strategy even when I'm not looking because your behavior is being met with positive reinforcement. However, if I tell you to do this thing and you try it but you don't see any impact, you're just going to go back into your old habits. It's something that leaders don't understand. They just tell people to do something and when they don't do it, they come back and they say the same thing except for this time they might say it a little louder, a little longer, a little meaner. And you know what? It's Einstein not said the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, and it's not. Right. 
And it's also stepping back and figuring out and asking yourself questions. What am I doing? What can I do differently? And it's interesting because we expect teachers to use effective tools. Well, why not use effective tools in our leadership? And so this is really wonderful that we can connect with you to get some more information. And as we go along, we'll unpack this a little more. So thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. Um, Paul, how would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, I just really like to think of myself as being an authentic leader. I'm just myself, an authentic leaders, you know, kind of speak from the heart. You know, authentic leaders admit if they make a mistake and they know they're going to make mistakes when they do. They, you know, they share it with people and they explain why and they get some feedback on it. And <laughs> I also like to think that at the root of what I do is science. So I'm kind of scientific, at least in my brain. But my heart is authentic and, you know, I'd say emotionally intelligent. And I think emotionally intelligent meaning that I understand the impact of my behavior on other people. And I can understand the impact of their behavior on me and I just what I do to you know again to create situations where people want to do things instead of feeling like that they have to do them you know Paul I'm so intrigued by the fact that you're also I mean as scientific as you are and as I guess heady you have a beautiful mind you're also so involved with mixed martial arts what drew you there what what's that connection well, there's a pretty deep story. When I was younger, I was bullied for no other reason just for being a, uh, a very, yeah, I think, you know, a nice kid. My mom raised me when I was young and, uh, you know, I was a sweet kid. She taught me to be nice to people and be kind. And I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood. In fact, one of my earliest memories is of being pushed down and having sand, dirt kicked in my face. I got a knife pulled on me when I was eight years old, you know. So all these kind of things really hurt my self-esteem and my feelings about myself. So after getting a few fights and eventually standing up myself, I got involved in boxing. And boxing gave me a great sense of self-esteem. It made me feel good about myself. It really lifted me out of the hole. And once I started boxing, I felt like, you know what, I can still be a kind and sensitive person. But, you know, and nobody's going to say anything about it because I'm like the baddest dude on the block now. It's weird how our culture is that they respect a fighter more than somebody that would be just a kind and sensitive person. So it allowed me just to be me because I just want to be authentic and at my heart, that's who I am. And you've gone on to coach prize fighters. Yeah, you know, I've gone on and I would say that the science of human behavior is really helped me to bring out the best in my fighters and understanding basic principles like behavior skills training, mm -hmm. understanding how to give feedback, when to give feedback, how to break down skills through task analysis and the very small details and how to train people to fluency with them. And honestly, not just that part because the science is the science, but you have to be able to communicate the science in a way where people want to hear it. So using emotional intelligence, understanding how to use my feedback to get fighters and encourage them, inspire them and show them that what they're doing is having some sort of impact. So I love doing it. It's been very good to me. It's taken me all around the world from Italy to Russia to England. Uh, you know, I've been with heads of state. We, Vladimir Putin even showed up to some of our fights. So oh it's, boy. Been a, it's been an experience. <laughs> wow, that's great. Now tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? This one just comes right to my mind. It's by Richard Branson. He says that clients do not come first, employees come first. If you take care of the employees, they will take care of the clients. And that just resonates so well for me. And it's something I think that educational leaderships have to really think about deeply because if we're going to bring out the best in our students, we have to bring out the best in our teachers, right? Yes. And I hear a lot of people say, well, you have to do it for the kids. 
all right, mm-hmm. I kind of get that. But sometimes I think it's a cop-out because I know that if we're really going to do it for kids, we got to do it for the teachers mm-hmm. because the teachers are going to have the biggest impact on our students. Just like the teachers have a class full of students, I look at teachers when I was an educational leader as my class full of students. So my job is to bring out the best in those teachers. And what am I doing? If they're not successful, it means that I haven't been successful as a leader. So I really need to focus on my employees to bring out the best in my students. You know, that makes so much sense. I first heard this from one of my guests. She's a millennial, Kenda Lawson. And she's so bright. And she said this, and it just makes so much sense that if we pour into our teachers, they will pour into the students and the outcome would be so much better. I absolutely get this. Thank you for that. Can I make one further comment on that? Absolutely. Because it's important for you know, folks to hear this. And the first day I walked into the boxing gym, mm-hmm. I got my nose broke. I took a beating from a professional fighter. And for whatever reason, I decided to stay in. Obviously, it's probably because of my history of being bullied and it was very meaningful for me to learn some skills so I would never be bullied again. Mm-hmm. I call it Darwinism. You know, it's natural selection, only the strong <laughs> survive. And in, in my case, it wasn't the strongest. It was just like the guy that just needed this more than other people, you know. Mm-hmm. But I really believe this is what we're doing the teachers. It's Darwinism in education in that we are throwing teachers into classroom and leaders as well unprepared to meet the demands of the classroom and why is that well our teacher preparation programs are focusing far too much on philosophy right on theory and not near enough on just practicing getting repetitions and good teaching so we need to completely reverse the way our teacher preparation programs go in college and that is by giving three years of practice in schools in classrooms under the direction of master teachers so they can coach them and one year of theory and principles just reverse it and then we're going to have teachers that come in the field and can actually do it because i'll tell you what learning how to do something when you're taking a beating if you're having struggling in the classroom you're being evaluated the students are misbehaving it's very challenging to learn while you're actually having that going on. And teaching is very complex. For anybody outside of education that doesn't know that, it is highly challenging. Yeah. Paul, that's so well said. You surely painted the picture. So tell us what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Well, I think it links directly back to that quote. And I'm inspired by folks that Bring Out the Best in People. Aubrey Daniels, who is my leadership guru, he's the guy that wrote that book, Bring Out the Best in People. He talked about leadership being a lot of times defined by the outcomes, right? So in education, for example, if you go look and you've seen a school has turned around, you're like, man, this must be a great leader. But sometimes people can achieve despite leadership. So it's really not the measure of leadership. The measure of leadership is getting the best out of your people. Mm -hmm. It's not just that year of turning a school around. It's that are we looking at teacher retention? How happy are the people? What kind of sustainability do we have with the results that we're getting? But not just measuring people by those outcomes. So leaders that can inspire others and can get that sustainability, those are people who inspire me. So it's not just the results, but drilling down and figuring out what works and what doesn't. That's right. So tell us what's the best advice you've ever received. Other than people come first, you know, not tasks, it's the people. Mm -hmm. I would have to say that focusing on a few things at a time, and I think it's one of the challenges that leaders have. School leaders have a very challenggy job. There's a lot to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's in fact, there's too much to do at once. So 
you have to focus on just a couple things at a time and chunk those things down and set small goals so your followers are more likely to meet success because they're meeting their small goals and you feel that you're achieving something so you you can celebrate success more often but when you have big goals it takes a long time to meet those goals and if there's too many it's just undoable and the science of human behavior has really told us that you can only focus on a couple things at one time so prioritizing those things in fact Manny Rodriguez my partner and I he's vice president of applied behavior analysis technologies at Florida Institute of Technology we're writing a book called quick wins and it's about targeting things that have an immediate impact on people a positive impact but take very little effort and if you can target those kind of things you really get buy-in from folks and they're going to be more likely to follow you and maybe do things that are a little bit more challenging in the future so yes manny rodriguez we are interviewing him and he's being featured as well so that's great for our listeners to tune into what does it mean for you to have a good team and how would you build one you know, I think, first of all, good teams communicate with each other. They feel comfortable to speak up. They feel involved and engaged by whatever the process is. And I think building one is about having them give lots of feedback into whatever goals that are established, letting them help direct movement towards the vision and the mission. And I know that I have a good team. If people are feeling comfortable to come to me and come to other team members and share their mistakes and ask questions. Uh, we don't want to have a team where people are competing with each other. Mm-hmm. We want them to work together to achieve some sort of goals. So I think asking for feedback, sharing measurement with them that shows that we're moving in the right direction. I think teams want to be successful. And again, coming back to the goal setting, if you establish goals that are too big, they feel unsuccessful. But you establish some short-term goals, you meet those goals, you can really get some momentum. And teams will start to feel good about the team and individually about the performance that they're doing and they'll work together to move forward. If you have teams that really believe in themselves, they have this collective efficacy, they'll achieve anything. You said something that stood out, that you need to get a team where they need to feel that they can approach you, that it's safe to approach you. And I want to look at that because quite often, and I've experienced this a lot, the top guy is hard to connect to. It's like Fort Knox. It's almost like meeting royalty, and it's ironic and a little weird. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, I think that's bad leadership. Yeah. One of the things that Manny and I wrote, 360-degree measurement for school leaders, mm-hmm. and it's about how we really should be getting this measurement of our leadership by the people around us, the people above us, the people below us, anywhere around us, so we can accurately measure people's perception of us and use that to drive what we're doing. One of the questions that would be asked are we approachable? And if leaders are unapproachable, how are you going to be getting feedback to figure out what's going on and what direction you might need to go in? Because the leader cannot have all the answers. In fact, most times the answers are right in the followers. They're on the team or the people around you in the school. So we really want to get that feedback and we want to reinforce people for being innovative. I'm not trying to drive people towards, you know, what – I think we need to do. I really want collective buy-in from people. And if you if you engage them by asking their input and putting that into the plan, they're going to be more likely to do things even when you're not looking. I think it's it's important for us to reflect that if we're this kind of leader, then it behooves us to really look at our effectiveness. So thank you for that. So Paul, I think we may have touched on this. Tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. 
Yeah, I would say that for sure, overcoming low self-esteem as a child, mm-hmm. overcoming being bullying shaped my life. And I think that's led to a couple things because one of the other challenges I had is that I used to be very afraid to public speak. Mm. And uh, now I public speak all over the country. I think as I've improved and become more comfortable in my own skin and increased my knowledge and, and figured out a way to kind of say things that make sense to folks, my self-efficacy in public speaking has improved. And the thing is, people need to know that the things that they're afraid of, the way to get over that fear is to prepare yourself for it and give yourself small doses of it. Exposure, right? What we call desensitization in the mental health field or exposure in the behavioral sciences. The more you expose yourself to something and you come away with some sort of success, the less likely you are to fear. And I used to have a great fear of public speaking. So uh, that was a big challenge for me because I had a lot to say and I wanted people to hear it, but I was afraid to get up and say it. I think fear of public speaking is very common. Yeah, practice, practice, practice. Absolutely. (laughs) Anybody can do it. Well, thank you. Tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped you and the lives of those around you. So I had a very unique experience over a decade ago. I was thrown into a failing school. It was kind of like the perfect storm. They had a community school where all the students from the high poverty area came back into the same school where before they were being bussed out to diversify the socioeconomic makeup. And that stopped. They had brand new principal and assistant principal, mm-hmm. and they had all first and second year teachers. So I call it the perfect storm. And, you know, this was a K through five school and wow. the, the students yeah. literally had taken the school over. I'd come in in the morning and just to support the school with behavior. And there was not one adult from the bus area to the cafeteria. And it was like a tenth of a mile walk to get there. So if you can imagine how aroused the students would get running pushing each other, screaming, doing all these things. I mean, it was terrible. The next year, I was asked to go in there and support the school to help turn it around. They said, do you think you can help? And I thought, I don't think so. (laughs) You know, it was a mess. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what am I going to do? So this is where I had to dig deep and I had to go do some research on my own. And unfortunately, there was nothing about the application of the science of human behavior in education. But I did come across Aubrey Daniels' book, Bring Out the Best of People. Mm -hmm. And I started to apply some of those concepts. And I saw some of them work about pinpointing a couple staff behaviors, about using some sort of measurement and using frequent feedback to show them that, listen, because they didn't believe. They didn't believe the students could perform better. Mm-hmm. But by using measurement to show them, like, hey, listen, remember last week we had this many discipline issues. This week we're down by 20%. It's because you are doing A, B, and C. Mm. So it gave them some sort of belief that what they were doing and what we were doing was working. So that became very powerful. A lot of things that I use in that school are part of the books that Manny and I are writing, part of the presentations that Scott and I do. And I've even rewritten the internal suspension program for the district based on some of the things I had to develop at the school. And it it works. It, It was amazing. It was really great to see a whole school move in the right direction using some of these simple principles and philosophies. And it's encouraging because if you don't see at least a little improvement, if you don't hear about it, then it's discouraging and you're thinking that what you're doing is not effective. So what you did is communicate that it is. You collected the information and you communicated that it's working and that's so important. Well, I think it's fundamental to leadership, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. feedback, leadership is feedback. And how are you getting feedback? And one of the big errors that education makes is the use of measurement. They have lots of measures, but they really only use them too far away to have some sort of impact on performance. 
some of the measurement I would use that very day. Like if we made some sort of change, I would pump out measurement and email the people saying, hey, guess what? Because you did A, B, and C, here's what happened. At the end of the week, we would look at how we compared to the week before and use that measurement again to reinforce these evolving behaviors that the teachers and the staff were doing. Because again, to your point, it was letting people buy in and believe what they were doing, but it also allowed myself and the leadership to measure if what we were doing was working, right? So you, you have to be looking at these measures ongoing. You cannot wait a month. You definitely can't wait a year. That's an autopsy, right? Wait right. for like school grades. I mean, you have to look at it immediately. So right. you have to have those measures in place. One of the things that education, I think, fails at is that they look at outcome measures. And you have to look at leading indicators. Uh, in other words, understanding that you're moving in the right direction. I'll use like a car as an analogy because turning schools around, it's a time-consuming effort. I mean, they're talking about it's a three to five-year effort right. on average. So if you're a mechanic and you're working on a car and you're being measured on the performance of the car in terms of mileage it's driven. But if that car had no tires, if it didn't have gas in it, if it didn't have a carburetor, spark plugs, all these things in it, you would look like you're failing all the time. But you would have to put those things in place. And those would be all leading indicators, letting folks know that you're moving in the right direction. But education has not done very well looking at leading indicators as an informative measure to know that you are moving. So in this case, discipline had come way down. We had like 650 suspensions the year before. We had gotten down to like 80 suspensions that year. And you just have to move in the right direction. It's not going to happen overnight. Right. Now, you mentioned Scott. Dr. Scott Mm Neal was a principal at one of the schools I worked at when I first came into a district that I support. Mm -hmm. And Scott was trying to move a school. He's a turnaround principal, and he was having some challenges with behavioral issues. So he says, you know, what can we do? And I said, well, I mean, I have some ideas that I think are going to work. You know, instead of chasing kids down the street, which we have to do sometimes, Mm -hmm. let's try these things. And we did. He had an open mind. He was innovative. And, you know, we helped the school move to an A. And then he moved to another school that was heading in the wrong directions, and he asked me to come in and support him with it. And we, again, applied the same methodology to the school and brought that school to an A. So, I mean, he was the principal in it. He's a school leader. He deserves major credit for the turnaround. But what he was doing was rooted in the science of human behavior. And one of the things I helped him see was how what he was doing was scientific and how to even make it more so so we can sustain it. Oh, great. We need to have him on our show as well. Sure. He's a great one. (laughs) Okay. So what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? First of all, I define climate as shared perception and culture as shared behavior. I know there's kind of a lot of confusion about that, but I think that's just a very simple way to think about it. And Mm -hmm. I think that a leader sets the tone for both. If they're discouraged, they got to understand what the root cause is. I think they have to dig deep in it. And one of the things they have to look at is themselves. You have to hold up a mirror to yourself to figure out, are you a part of this? If not, then what is at the root cause of the climate? Why do they have a false perception? I think this is where measurement is very powerful. And if you have like a culture where people are negative, that they're talking negative to the student, those things are all things that can be changed because that's behavior. And I know that behavior can be changed. So if you understand what's at the root cause of things, know that for sure you can change it. But you have to get down to that root cause. And how important is a coach in this situation? So I think a coach can be huge because they can help you be objective. They can point you in the right direction. The coach can also be a person that holds the mirror up to the leader because they have to understand their behaviors have a huge impact on teacher and student mm-hmm. behaviors. In fact, 
there's some research out there that says school leaders, the principal, can have up to a 25% impact on student achievement. Mm-hmm. So this is huge, and this is why I believe that districts should invest heavily in supporting their leaders to bring out the best in them because one person has the ability to make or break an entire school. So why not work on bringing out the best in these people? Absolutely. Thank you for that. Many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly reading. But I'm constantly reflecting on what I'm doing and looking at the impact of my behavior on others which is huge. And I'm constantly looking at ways to improve myself. I'll never stop learning. I'll never stop trying to do things in a way that more effectively and more efficiently helps improve the people around me, the people that I'm trying to help, whether it's in mixed martial arts coaching my fighters, whether it's in school supporting teachers, whether it's supporting students, whatever it is, I'm trying to be a person that can really help accelerate performance and make them feel good about what they're doing and help bring out the best of them. That's my end goal. So you're also addicted to learning and addicted to creating like a whole bunch of us are, huh? Oh, always. Always writing, always thinking about, always trying to, you know, figure out how to be better and do it differently. You ever, you go back, I write something like, oh, this is pretty cool, man. This makes sense. And I go back and I read it and I've learned along the way. I'm like, man, I need to change that, you know, because <laughs> you're constantly evolving. Hopefully you're constantly evolving. Well, that's the goal, right? Yeah. So tell us, I think we know this already because you've mentioned this book a couple of times. What have you read that our listeners should read and why? I would say, hands down, it's Bring Out the Best in People by Aubrey Daniels because even though it's oriented towards business, it doesn't matter. People are people. And if you understand some fundamentals of the science of human behavior, You'll learn how to bring out the best in your teachers or teachers could read it so they could learn how to bring out the best in their students. It just really helps you to understand the fundamentals of pinpointing results and the behaviors that lead to those using measurement, feedback and reinforcement. I'd also say there's like a short kind of read called Rapid Change for the Impatient Leader. It's a good one. It's by Joe Leipel, L-A-I-P-P-L-E. And that was very helpful to me as well. It really kind of gives you some good visuals and gives you a way to help coach leaders into improving performance of their staff. So it was powerful. I also say that's a good book coming out called Quick Wins, Accelerating School Transformation Through Science Engagement Leadership. And that's the one that Manny and I are writing. And we're very pleased with it. And we really think it's the first of its kind in education. So it's a fun book to read. And I think it's going to be impactful in education. So quick wins. When is it coming out? Uh, it'll be out at the end of this year. And if we want to get it, who should we contact? It'll be on lulu.com. If you link in with me, I will be advertising it everywhere. To be quite honest, books don't make you any money. We're sharing this technology with the world. It is going to make a difference. It's simple things that leaders can do immediately that will have a direct impact on their teachers and on their students. And it teaches some fundamentals of leadership, do's and don'ts of leadership and the science behind it. Paul, I'll be sure to feature it as well. So let me know as soon as it comes out. Sure. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have? I have some realistic expectations and set some small goals and focus on those goals because Education can be overwhelming. There's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of responsibilities. As an educational leader, there's a lot of people pulling on you. So you can't control everything. But what are the things that I can control and set goals and think about what I can do to reach those goals? So I think that's a very powerful one. But knowing that if everything is important, nothing's important, right? So what are your priorities and what can you do where every behavior that you display during the day is moving you towards those goals? And, you know, that's a good way to keep you focused on that. 
And you did mention that ed leaders do a lot and they do put in long hours. So what advice would you give about maintaining balance? I have to be honest, you know, I came into educational leadership and I believe that leadership is not a positional piece. There's people that have educational leadership positions, but they're not really leaders. They've been assigned that position, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that there's leaders in the classroom. I think coaches are leaders. I think there's leaders all around. Everybody has some sort of leadership position. But if you're going to be an educational leader, I hope that you're prepared for the hour demands because it's a major organization. And if you don't love it, then you're not going to be as successful as you otherwise might be because there's lots and lots of challenges. So I think you need to be realistic about what educational leadership entails. Don't do it for the money because if you do it for the money, it's not going to bring out the best in you. You're not going to want to go above and beyond. You're not going to want to tolerate a lot of the challenges, challenges with parents. There's challenges with students. There's challenges with getting funding. So there's lots and lots of challenges. For me, I stepped down from the educational leadership position because I needed balance. And my balance was that I teach at the college, I'm a coach for mixed martial arts, so I need to find balance that way. I didn't feel that investing 12 hours a day in this one position was going to make me happy and be sustainable. But what I really do like doing is helping leadership as coaches, helping teacher as a coach, sharing the science of human behavior in ways that help to bring out the best in students. So that's how I found balance for myself, but that's not for everybody. Some people just really want to be educational leaders. And uh, they just have to be realistic and understand what to expect. I would actually go in and interview leaders. They should know exactly what they can expect because a lot of new leaders are shocked. Right. Okay, we've come to our last question. If you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I think be yourself. That's the main thing. Don't be afraid to speak in front of others. Don't be afraid to speak your mind but do it in a way where it's not challenging and i don't think i really ever challenged people the main thing was i was just afraid to speak up in front of others and i had a lot to say so i think that i could have been helping people a long time ago but because of the fear of uh, speaking in front of others i i didn't so that would be the main thing that what you have to say it can be meaningful in lots of instances so just go ahead and say it okay so paul i want to thank you so much for adding value not just to me but to our listeners It's been a pleasure, Lily. I hope I was able to share at least one thing that made people think differently about leadership. And if I did, you know, it it was well worth the time. You shared more than one thing, I assure you. Thank you, Lily. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time, bye. Bye.